0: Says we're here the next two Monday nights. And then we're going to be off, obviously, for Christmas, New Year's, and then we're back January 8th, 11th, and 22nd. Um, she didn't want me to say all that, but I said it anyway. And because the building is under construction, there is one bathroom on this floor. So plan accordingly. <laughs> you head that way, we'll all give you space. Okay. Um, thank you, everybody, for coming. This is so fun to go through this information with you and um, to just dig into what's happening um, with Israel. I mean, obviously, a lot's going on in Israel right now. There's a war. There's many nations have armies actually all around the coast of Israel right now, like almost all of the Western nations have at least one ship with troops on it, kind of around the Mediterranean Sea, Red Sea. Um, We have obviously many nations that are Uh, hostile, openly hostile towards Israel to the north and to the east and to the south. The U.S. has tons of troops in Syria and Jordan right now. And so we're looking at the context that the Bible describes the shaking of Israel among the nations in Amos 9. And so I felt like the Lord wanted me to kind of go through some of the prophetic destiny of Israel, because if you don't know, what God's plan for Israel is, you might miss some of the nuanced things that are happening that are hopeful. There's actually a lot of hope right now for the nation of Israel. There's a lot of hope in the nation of Israel. In fact, we're hearing when we're there, we're hearing people that know the Lord. They know Hashem. They know the name. They don't know Yeshua's Messiah yet, but what they're saying is when we see this, we know God is actually judging us because we've been fighting about so many dumb things and now we can see the nation coming together. This is actually something super prophetic in the Bible that God wants to accomplish in wars and rumors of wars and the shaking of Israel among the nations. So tonight we're going to start by talking about the remnant. How many here have ever heard of the remnant of Israel? How many here have ever heard that all of Israel is going to be saved before Jesus comes back? you heard that before? Okay. How many people have heard that Israel has to invite Jesus back before he's going to come back. Raise your hand if you've heard that before. Okay, when I first heard that, I heard that for the first time probably about 10 years ago, and I'd been in the church my whole life. I had never heard that before. There's a lot of people that don't know anything about Israel and don't understand that when you become a follower of Yeshua, you become a follower of the Jewish Messiah, which I I think probably everybody in this room, just by the seeing your hands, knows that. That means something in incredible detail. So the first thing I want to start with tonight is you have a little chart that I made on my Geologist CAD program. I think most of you know I'm a geologist by trade, and so I like to make visuals, and I want to talk about this before we start going through the notes, and I found a very high-tech professional pointer to use so that you could know exactly what I was talking about. So... This What this chart represents, and you probably can't read the one on the screen, but I'm going to point to things, and you can look at the chart that's in your hands, and you can read what's in your hands. What this chart represents represents is the fact that God is always taking a people from a people to make them one with him. That's what was lost in the fall. If we could go all the way to the fall of man in the garden, we would find out That man was made to need God, man was made to be dust without him, and when man rebelled against that reality and did the one thing they weren't supposed to do, there was a separation. Now, that separation wasn't just between God and man, and if you could just extend these lines out, they'd be even further. That's called enmity. So when man rebelled against God, enmity entered the world, and so there's enmity between the genders. There's enmity between the races. There's enmity between the generations. There's division. There's trouble. And all that trouble comes back to one thing. There's one thing broken, according to Jesus, and one thing required. And that one thing is to become one with God again. And so God has a plan to make people one with him. And the, the way that he does it, because he doesn't violate love, is he does it in faith as people want his leadership He lets his kingdom come through us. So in Luke 17, the Pharisees said to Jesus, what's going to be the evidence of your kingdom coming? And this is the kingdom of God, God with man, and the family of God. What's the evidence? How are we going to know this is happening? And Jesus said, it isn't coming in a way to be seen because the kingdom is within you. Okay? And so we have to understand that the way God does the redemption of all of the earth is in this kind of subtle way, though it has massive consequences that we see all the time. So right now when we see a war in Israel, we have to know Satan is warring against this very redemptive plan because God decided in his wisdom to use the family of Israel to bring forward a Messiah, and that as we connect, as we become one with that Jewish Messiah, we become grafted into the nation of Israel. So this chart, I'm just going to go through it super fast. This starts with Babylon. Who knows the story of Babylon? Who's ever heard the story of Babylon? What, what book of the Bible is Babylon and Barbara? Genesis, very good. Genesis 11 is the, the story of the Tower of Babel and how man, God gave Moses, in, or God gave, I'm talking about Moses now too, God gave Noah instructions and said, spread out, subdue the earth. Don't band together, spread out, subdue the earth. It was the same instructions he had given to Adam and Eve. Babylon was the first rebellion against that where man came together instead of spreading out and subduing the earth for safety They came together and started to build a tower Well, god called the redemptive family out of babylon. Okay, and that was abraham He called them out of ur of the chaldeans So this represents places and times the all the green triangles and this represents the group of people God is calling out of that place and time So god called abraham out of Babylon or the Chaldeans. Now, it wasn't just Abraham that went with him. Abraham had like 120 servants and family that went with him as well. So there's always a mixed multitude that goes with the people God is calling out of the people, okay? Now, you're a people God is calling out of a people, right? If you're going to be the bride of Jesus, he's actually calling you, out of the field, of the, 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 the world of the church, the wheat and the tares mixed together. He's going to get rid of the tares. He's going to harvest the wheat, and he's going to take a people from this moment in time, and, and that's further on down, okay? So he took Abraham out of Babylon, and then Abraham's family started to grow, and they went into Egypt, right? You guys know this story, 400 years in Egypt, and he called Israel out of Egypt. Now, not everybody went, but some other people that weren't Israel went, and it says there's a mixed multitude that came out with Israel from Egypt. Then God took Israel that he called out of Egypt into the promised land, right? You guys have heard that story. Joshua kind of led them, and then there were as many years as the kingdom of David, then all the kings. And Israel grew and inhabited all the promised land. David conquered the last stronghold of Jabus, turned it into Jerusalem. That was the city that became the city of God, the city of the king, and the city that Jesus will rule and reign from. And then Jesus came and he sifted the nation of Israel quite hard. (laughs) He came with his winnowing fork in his hand, and he thoroughly cleaned out his threshing floor, and he took 120 Jewish people out of the promised land and made them what we would call now the church, Right? He took a people from a people. Did the entire nation go with, with the church? No. 120 Jewish people went into the upper room, received the Holy Spirit, then thousands got saved after that and were added to that number, and Gentiles actually started to be added to that number. Have you guys heard of that? Ever heard of the Gentiles became part of this Jewish man's body? Yeah, that's you. Okay. So it wasn't just Jewish people that started the church. It actually, a mixed multitude of Gentiles went with them. Now, we live right here in the church age until the end of the time of the Gentiles. So you know that you're in this age because there's coming a point in time where no nation, Russia's not going to rule the earth, USA is not going to rule the earth, Italy's not going to rule the earth, Greece isn't going to rule the earth. It's going to be just the kingdom of God. It's going to be just the one that comes down from heaven, crushes the feet. This is in Daniel 2. The feet of all the other Gentile nations blows them away like dust and that mountain just keeps growing and growing and growing. That's the kingdom of God. That's here, okay? And it starts here with the millennial reign of Jesus. So, right now, Jesus is taking a people out of the church. He's also taking a people out of what we would call the nation of Israel. What we would see is genetic Israel. He's taking a remnant out of Israel. And at the same time, he's taking people out of Israel into his bride as well. So, there's two things happening. This is the part of the graph that I really want you to hear tonight. And Maybe you've never heard this before. Oh, no. Where'd my graph go? Okay. I lost my graph and the need for my pointer. And I, I know what's wrong. There's a wire that is loose in the back. But if you look, uh, we, I pointed to enough so we can do this together at this point. If you look at the church age until the end of the Gentiles, the, the third triangle to the left, that's the time we're in now. And then you look at the brown circle and it says the bride, that's Jews and Gentiles. That's, oh, perfect. Thank you. We're back. We're live. Okay. Back to this. this is actually a Swiffer handle. Jen guessed it. Okay, so this um, is—oh, there we go. Thank you, Thomas. I appreciate your technical help. All right, so the bride, and this is Jews and Gentiles, one new man. Everybody say one new man. So when you hear the remnant of Israel, it's not talking about the bride. It's not talking about Jewish people that have accepted Yeshua as the Messiah. People that accept Jesus as the Messiah, Yeshua as the Messiah, before Yeshua returns, they're just like you and me. They become filled with the Spirit, and they have an opportunity to get sanctified and become one with Christ. That's the only way you become a part of the bride is to become one with Christ in your mind, in the way you think, your emotions, the way you feel, in your will, what you want to do. Now, that doesn't mean that you perfectly execute it. That means that you're completely concerned that you get the leadership of Jesus in your mind, will, and emotions, or in your heart, okay? That's the bride. So there are Jewish people. They're genetically Jewish. They've met Yeshua the Messiah. They've said, yes, he is the Messiah. They've gotten the Holy Spirit, and they're growing in sanctification, just like you should be. And they are seen by God as Yeshua. They're actually just like you are. If you're part of Yeshua's body, he sees you as Yeshua. Ever heard that before, that when he looks at you, he sees the blood of Christ? Like, if you're in Christ, you're part of Yeshua, okay? That's like, I just picture when Sam and I got married, the two became one, and we're Sam, or Tam. (laughs) If we had a celebrity couple name, that would be our celebrity couple name. So the, when you think about Israel and you think about Jewish people and you think about Messianic Jews, what I I feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to say to you is understand the remnant is different than that. That's not the remnant. Okay. And this is really important because you're going to pray for Israel the way you see Israel. Okay. So that's one new man, but Israel also has a destiny. So there's a group of people in Israel that haven't seen Yeshua as Messiah yet, but they believe in the father of of Yeshua. They actually know God. Just like throughout Old Testament history, tons of people knew God. In fact, you can read about them in Hebrews 11. It calls them the great cloud of witnesses. Some of them had the Holy Spirit. David had the Holy Spirit. We can see Daniel operating in the Holy Spirit while he's prophesying over Nebuchadnezzar. There were people throughout Old Testament history, that knew God, they didn't know Yeshua yet. And in fact, Yeshua, when he died on the cross, he descended into hell and he preached freedom to the captives and some of them went with him. And so we have to understand when you hear about the remnant, you're hearing about people that are faithful to God, but they don't know Yeshua yet. And they, it's, it, they're, they, they believe that God is the rescue. They're loyal to God. It's probably the better way to say it than faithful because faith is very, something very specific we're going to talk about tonight. So Israel, the reason that this matters is that when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a nation of Israel with natural-bodied people that serve as a nation of priests to the rest of the nations of the world for a thousand years. So if the remnant is all included in people that have accepted Yeshua as Messiah before Jesus comes back, they're going to be at the bride. There wouldn't be any natural-bodied people left. To populate the city of Jerusalem and serve as a nation of priests to the to the nations of the world as Jesus disciples the nations for a thousand years. He's like how I swing the swiffer handle like that. We will overcome. No, just kidding. Okay, yes. Okay, it's distracting. So at the end of the millennial reign, at the end of the thousand years. God is then going to sift the earth one more time, and he's going to do one more thing to take a people out of a people, and he's going to take the family of God. So this is the bride, and in me and Samantha's family, Sam and I are married, but there's other people in our family. There are our kids, and there's aunts and uncles. There's a whole family of God that's going to come out of the final sifting of the world that's not the bride. They don't take part in the first resurrection, but they do avoid the second death. That's the way that that's called. So these two lines here, this is the war of Gog and Magog. So right here, Jesus locks up Satan when he returns, and he establishes the the nation of Israel as a kingdom of priests. He locks up Satan and the demons, and there are no Satan and demons this entire time right here, the millennial reign. This is the discipling of the nations right here. And then after the nations have been discipled into the leadership of Jesus, and he'll be ruling as a as a as a resurrected bodied guy who has a throne in Jerusalem If you take part in the first resurrection, you are going to be kings and priests with him. You're going to rule with him in resurrected bodies. There'll be many Jewish people that rule and reign with him in resurrected bodies. That's the one new man with Christ. And there'll be a whole nation of Jewish people in natural bodies, ruling and reigning over a whole bunch of people in natural bodies that populate the nations of the world. And then as they're discipled into the kingdom of God, God's going to let Satan, the snake, back into the garden one last time to find out, do you really want my leadership? When Satan comes along and says, you could be God. You don't have to submit to him. And it says that a number... Greater than the sands of the sea and the shore are going to go with Satan, even though there's been a thousand years of Jesus ruling and reigning and discipling the nations and teaching us righteousness. And we'll have experienced his presence and seen an entire nation of people that went all the way from here, all the way to here, and even still in the heart of man is rebellion and many will rebel against God. And then he will rinse the earth with fire, and God will come down. The Father will come down. So, right here, Jesus comes down, but he's preparing the earth for the Father to come down. And he's going to do that with the nation of Israel that is saved, the remnant of Israel that is saved, and the call on him as Messiah. He's going to come and be Messiah and do all the things that the nation of Israel thought he should have done it at his first coming. <laughs> That's why they missed him. They wanted him to do all these physical things on the earth, win the wars, push back the enemies, make it like the kingdom of David. Do you remember that? Remember they're like, are you going to establish your kingdom at this time? He's going to do that with Jewish people in natural bodies, just like they, they had always known because all of the scriptures talk about what I just described to you. Have you ever, if you've ever heard that before, just raise your hand so I know you've heard this whole thing before and you're like, yeah, I'm on board with that. Okay, so the remnant are the people that are going to rule and reign with Jesus in natural bodies on the earth for a 1,000 years with him. You hear what I'm saying? So do you think God would prefer Jewish people say yes to the leadership of Jesus right now in faith on their own, break from the crowd, get the Holy Spirit, and get discipled into his leadership right now, or do you think he'd prefer they were a remnant of natural bodied people? The first option, right? So, when we start praying for the remnant, it's, it's important to understand we want to, God, we want to get God's heart about that. That's now the, the remnant, that's awesome. That's mercy. That's, he never gave up on the people that went with the people that went with the people all the way down. He never gave up on the nation that rejected him at the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then a bunch of people got saved after that. Do you get what I'm saying? But we want to know what is God saying about Israel and what's he saying about a remnant? What's he saying about his bride? And the only way we can know that is if we can start to make these distinctions in our minds with the word to say, oh, there's like there's something much bigger than this moment in time. There's, we're at a midpoint in the redemptive plan, not at the end of the redemptive plan. So when you hear about the return of Yeshua, there's still a 1,000 years of redemptive discipling and leading and people in natural bodies and babies being born and babies dying, and I'm going to show you all those passages tonight. Okay, but it's important that you understand how they kind of fit. You with me? Okay, everybody say yes. Great. Even if you're not, you can still see. Sam said only if you are. Sam wants only truth. I want encouragement. Okay. I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit. We just thank you for your word. I pray that you'd make wise the simple in this room tonight, that we wouldn't get caught up in um, trying to wrestle out all of the if, what's, and why's, that we'd let you speak to us, Lord, that we wouldn't tell you how it ought to work, that we'd let you tell us how it works. In the name of Yeshua, amen. Okay, item one, Israel in the redemptive process. Israel, which is a Hebrew word, H3478, it means God prevails. Against the flesh, I don't think it's any accident that Abigail picked Psalm 46, Lord of hosts, that he, we want him to wrestle us and win. That's the story of Jacob getting his name changed from Jacob or supplanter, heel grabber, to Israel, which means God prevails. God beat me in this wrestle, and that's my new name is Israel. Okay, so the, the implication is God prevails against the flesh. So that's important for all of us. There's only one redemptive plan. There's only one redemptive plan for you. And that same redemptive plan is the redemptive plan for Israel. So you can make this all super simple by saying God doesn't give anyone any way into the kingdom except for through Yeshua, but do you fully know Yeshua right now? Do you fully know him? No, and neither does Israel. So when we pray for Israel to see their Messiah, we could pray the same thing for us. That we would see more of the Messiah, that we would understand who the Messiah is. You ever had that experience where you're like, I thought Jesus wanted this, this, and this, and then he took me through this experience in my life, and now I'm like, oh, he didn't want that, that, and that at all. He wanted this, this, and this. You ever had that experience? Well, Israel's having that experience right now. So it's very easy to start to think, Israel needs to be converted to Christianity. No, Israel does not need to be converted to Christianity Israel needs to see their Messiah, and so do you. You need to see the Messiah more, too. This puts you in a very humble place to allow yourself to start to become one with Israel, not arrogant. And Israel's experienced the church arrogant for 2,000 years and really doesn't want that witness and isn't jealous of that witness at all. And that's something God is going to do in this generation, even in this war right now. He's going to produce something in his body that Israel is like, I want that. Do you see what I'm saying? So we have to understand what exactly is she supposed to want, okay? And we can. It's actually really clear. We can know. So God chose a family, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, from the earth through which to bring forth his redemptive process. This made Israel a target for the enemy immediately. So as a, as a New Testament follower of the Jewish Messiah, Yeshua, we're supposed to have the humility to see Israel's paid a very high price for us to meet her Messiah, she's carried the burden in a way that we never have she's carried something very difficult without in many ways without the holy spirit that we have so we should have the humility to say wow could you imagine staying trying to stay faithful to jehovah without the holy spirit and being a part of a nation for thousands of years that tried to do that even while the enemy was trying to exterminate you as a people the entire time that's pretty weighty right and we're supposed to look at Israel with gratitude and humility and say, Lord, what can we do to bless Israel? And God actually said, Abraham, I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. Like, I will, I will lay trouble on those who cause you trouble. For this reason, because God picked a guy to bring a redemptive plan through by telling him something. He said, Abraham, leave your father's house and go to the place I'm going to show you. You don't even know where you're going yet. And Abraham took that step of faith and entered into a war. And that's still the way God is doing his redemptive plan. Did he say something like that to you? Hey, come follow me. I know you don't know where this is going, but... Will you trust me? Do you like where you're at right now? Do you have something in your heart that you want to get close to God? And you said yes, right? You share this same reality with Abraham. And that's what we're supposed to come to is, oh, there's really only one way that we all get saved. There's just one gate. Jesus is the only gate. He's the only way. But God was working on your heart before you met Jesus, Right? It's, it's unless he calls you, you can't come. So he was doing something in your circumstances to produce this desire to get close to God before he invited you to see his son. This is what he's doing with Israel right now. This is so important. God's redemptive process is to rejoin all that was separated at the fall of man. And that's in Ephesians 1, 10 to 14. Now, there's many pages of notes. There's many passages. I'm not going to read them all because I don't have enough time. But I'm going to read highlights of some of them so that we can keep on moving, okay? So Ephesians 1, 10 to 14, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he, being Jesus, might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in the earth in him. And that's really what you're seeing. In this diagram, in a two-dimensional, very, you know, third grade, three-year-old sketch, and the real thing is a Picasso portrait, but this is really what he's doing is he's bringing everything in heaven and earth together, but he's not going to make, he's not going to squish it together with his hands. He invites us. He woos us. He tells us what to do, and then he lets us respond in faith, and that's what Israel is. That's the wrestle that Jacob was in through that night. And Jacob wouldn't let go, and he wanted to know who God was. Tell me your name, and God gave him a new name, right? He changed Jacob because Jacob wanted God. That's, that's really the point. So this is what Jesus is doing in the shaking of Israel among the nations. He's shaking us all, all of us, not just Israel. He's shaking all of us into the reality where we could say, I want to go forward with God no matter what it means, no matter what's happening on the earth. I want to go forward. And so this is that, that last part of that passage, verse 13. He says, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed, everybody say it, with the Holy Spirit of promise. Everybody say sealed. This is very important. We're going to actually see a sealing later on that relates to the remnant and those sealed of the Lord. Now, not everybody who names the name of Jesus is sealed. It's only those who yield to the Holy Spirit's leadership that are sealed by the seal of promise. And that's going to become more and more evident as the days unfold, who's in the Lord and who's not. And Jesus said, many are going to come to me. They're going to say, I prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, did many wonders in your name. I'm going to say, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who practice lawlessness. The sealed of the the Spirit, they're under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. They're, They're lawful. They only do what the Spirit tells them to do. And he is who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Now, this is your inheritance. Your inheritance is to be joined To this group of people being taken from a people into the family of God. That's the inheritance. Yes, Sam. The charts and the notes. Yep. Yes. Thank you. I will try to do that. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, the the redemption of the purchased possession... That happens all the way down here, not right here, not at the first resurrection, not at the establishment of the millennial kingdom, not at the establishment of the nation of priests. That happens after all the sifting. That's the end of the story. It says that Jesus is going to line everything up under him. He's going to present it to the Father. The Father's going to give it all back to Jesus, and everything's going to be back in order, one, the way it was supposed to, and God will dwell on earth with man. Okay, that's the redemption of that purchased possession. Now, the redemptive process It doesn't violate free will. For this reason, it comes through faith. Everybody say faith. Faith comes by hearing. That's Romans 10, 17. Most of the stuff we're going to talk about tonight is in Romans 9, 10, and 11. When you want to really study the the church's relationship prophetically with Israel in the last days, Romans 9, 10, 11 are essential. That's like the most condensed, concise, clear place you can see the relationship God wants us to have with Israel. Okay? So it comes through faith. Faith comes by hearing. Faith is a fruit of the spirit. It's the spirit of prophecy which speaks forth from God. So you know, what I mean is the Holy Spirit is the spirit of prophecy. He's literally the spirit that tells us the things that Jesus taught, takes us into new things as we can bear them. He's the spirit of God that talks to us, and that's where we get faith from is hearing the Spirit and deciding, yes, that's what I want. It's the confidence of things hoped for. Anybody ever here ever heard God give you a promise? How many people, you said yes, and it happened like three seconds later? I don't see any hands. That's because God wants faith. So he tells us the thing, and this is Abraham's story, right? He waited almost till he was 100 to have Isaac. God told him, you're going to be a father of many nations, and you didn't have any kids at all. But that faith is what God was extracting from from Abraham and giving Abraham and growing in Abraham, right? This is what, this is, faith comes by hearing the promise first, right? And then you hang on to the promise. That's where faith comes from, okay? So if you're like, I don't have enough faith, and you try to like, squeeze faith out, that's not how you get more faith. You get more faith by telling God, I don't have enough faith, and let him tell you some stuff. Then that increases your faith, okay? Faith comes by hearing. It's a fruit of the Spirit. God chose to speak to Abraham, who heard God and obeyed in faith. This is where the redemptive plan started. That's Hebrews 11:8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place that the spirit of prophecy called him, which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. That was, that was the beginning of this story. In the dispensation of the Holy Spirit, Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah, came through Israel into the earth to offer and distribute his spirit. Right? When Jesus came, he made a way for anyone who wanted faith to get faith by hearing God, learning to hear God. You have to learn how to hear God before you can actually obey him, hold his promises in faith. Now, we hear him in a bunch of ways. We hear him through the written word. We hear him through other people that know him. We hear him in our heart. We hear him. Sometimes people hear him audibly. But you got to hear God if you're going to obey God, and faith comes by hearing. Now faith comes by hearing, sometimes through another person who's been called of the Lord by the Spirit to preach, right? And that's where we see that in Romans 10, where it says, how are they going to hear if it's not preached? How beautiful are the feet? Anybody ever heard that passage before? How beautiful are the feet of those who who bring good news? That's talking about people not studying the Bible and being like, I'm going to get a good Bible argument together. That's talking about people, just like in Acts 2 in the upper room, who wait on the Lord, and the Lord sends fire and wind, and then they preach prophetically, and thousands get saved, right? That's the beautiful feat. That's what that's talking about. It's not talking about what man can do. It's talking about what God does. This is v- v- so important, okay? So in the dispensation of the Holy Spirit, so what I, mean, what I mean by the dispensation of the Holy Spirit, right here it says, spirit given, right? This is when Jesus sifted the nation of Israel and took the church forward with him, he was operating in the Holy Spirit, and so was John the Baptist. And then, after Jesus offered up his spirit on the cross, he distributed his spirit. I just picture like the loaves and fishes. He broke up his spirit and started handing it out. He'll never run out because it's, it's an infinite spirit. He'll never run out. But he started to distribute the spirit to anyone who wanted it, right? So in that distribution, uh, it came through Israel into the earth to offer and distribute his spirit to all those who would hear him. And then turn to him for leadership. This is what God's looking for from the nation of Israel right now. This is is what he's looking for from the remnant. He wants the remnant of Israel, not Messianic Jewish people that have been added to the bride, but the remnant who believe in Hashem. They believe in Jehovah, but they haven't seen Yeshua yet. He wants them to get a witness. He wants them to see his son. God wants them to see his son. Now, how are they going to see his son before his son returns? Us, right. We're supposed to be the hands and the feet. We're supposed to be a witness, a prophetic spirit-led witness that shows the remnant of Israel that's in intense pressure right now, who Yeshua is. So they will turn to him, and it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, there's a veil on the face of Jewish people when they read the Old Testament. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed where the spirit of the Lord is. There's freedom, Right. remember that? 2 Corinthians 3, 18 is where that that passage, 16 to 18. So that's what the Lord is looking for right now for the remnant in Israel. He wants them to see his son through us. Now, Jesus prayed for this in John 17. He prayed, Father, make them one as you and I are one, right? He's bringing everything to one, one in Christ. So the world will believe that you sent me when they see their love, right? When they see the glory you've given me in them. So this is what God wants for the remnant in Israel right now is to see a witness of his son, in our, the way that we, by the Holy Spirit, get along with each other. The way that we sacrificially love one another. The way we lay down our lives for each other. The way that we operate in the spirit of prophecy. The way that we give our lives to Jesus. The way that we forgive our enemies. We bless those who curse us. We pray for those who spitefully use us. That's what he's looking for, for the remnant to see and become jealous of, even right now. Galatians 4, 4-6. to But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son. That was that that dispensation where the Spirit's given. He sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Do you see how it's all about becoming one family? The, the Holy Spirit is the spirit, literally the, the personality, the spirit of Jesus Christ. It's the personality of the Father. It's the pers- they're one. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is what Israel, the, the remnant of Israel needs to see, but we need to see, oh, it's because we're all being gathered into one family. So the reason that I say it that way is ultimately God doesn't want a distinction between Jew and Gentile. He actually wants everyone one in Christ. And I'm going to show you this passage in just a second. Now, if your flesh hears this, you could start to think the wrong thing. You could start to think, okay, Israel doesn't matter. The church doesn't matter. That's impatient. There's a whole process, and we still got at least a 1,000 years until that's real. Do you see what I'm saying? So you can't be impatient about this. In humility, we're like, oh, Israel matters a lot. Israel matters a lot because, A, Jesus isn't going to come back until the nation of Israel invites him to be the Messiah. And B, God has all these promises in the Bible for the nation of Israel that we can't just jump over because we don't like God's plan and process, and we don't care, uh, you know, a, a jot or a tittle about what he's doing. We just want to get it done with and don't want to have to take the time to understand it all. But the truth is, Israel matters greatly, and the church will never replace Israel, but we will mature into one new man. This is different than replacement theology. So there's a thing in the earth right now. There's a ton of anti-Semitism rising up where the church is starting to think it doesn't matter about Israel. We're We're the people of God. We're the new nation of Israel. That is not true. The church could never replace Israel because Israel supports the church. She's the root. We're the branches. So we have to actually be grown together until it's one new burning bush is a good way to think about it. Okay? So as his body, Yeshua himself, or in Christ... I'm going to say that one more time. You are his body, and as his body, that's not like some euphemism. You're literally his witness, his hands and his feet, his heart and his mouth. His, you're the ones he's chosen to let represent him in the earth, especially to Israel. This is weighty, okay? We receive his spirit and testify that Israel might be saved. Yeshua will not return until Israel hears him and turns to him, and that's in Zechariah 12. This happens even now individually. There's Jewish people in Israel right now seeing Yeshua as Messiah and connecting to his body, and they're just like me and you. They're in Christ, okay? This is important Uh, individually. But in the future, the entire remnant of Israel will accept Yeshua as Messiah, the whole nation. And when I say that, your flesh hears everybody with a zip code in Israel (laughs) or, you know, in Florida or New York. But that's not what I mean what God sees as the nation of Israel. There was a moment when um, Elijah was like, I'm the only true Israelite left, God. And he's like, no, I've actually reserved 7,000 for myself that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You don't see them, Elijah, but I see them. God sees a remnant in Israel right now, of people that don't know Yeshua, but they, the entire remnant, the entire remnant of Israel is going to get saved at the same time. And they're going to become a natural bodied nation of priests. Now, they haven't, they haven't Yet, given themselves to the fullness of sanctification. They haven't. The thief on the cross is a good example of this. The thief on the cross gave himself to sanctification when he's sitting there next to Jesus. One of the thieves looks at Jesus and he says, If you're the Son of God, save us and save yourself. That wasn't sanctified at all. That was about him getting what he wanted. The other thief was like, I deserve all this. You get your kingdom and remember me when you get your kingdom. He sanctified in that moment and said, I don't even want to get out of my trouble. I just want you to be my God. I want you to be my king. Do you see that? So I'm not talking about they have to put in the time. I'm saying the entire nation is, according to the prophetic promises, is going to get something from God, something called grace and supplication. They're going to look on the one they pierced, and they're going to mourn him, and then he's going to take them and fulfill his destiny, his prophetic plan, to make a natural-bodied nation of priests to the world for a 1,000 years. That's not a bad plan, Right? But it's not the same as being filled with the Spirit, sanctifying and becoming a witness that gets martyred and becoming the bride of Jesus, right? That's different than that. Do you see what I'm saying? This is, this is the remnant. The remnant's different than the bride, okay? So this happens even now that people get the Spirit and then testify and When I say martyr or martyrious, I'm talking about witnesses. They tell the truth about God to the point where the world persecutes them and other religious people persecute them. Now, once the full number of Gentiles who will take part in the first resurrection have said yes to the leadership of Yeshua. Now, that doesn't mean when we're about to read a passage where it says when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, then all of Israel will be saved. And it's easy to get impatient with that and think, okay. All the Gentiles are now saved, Israel saved, matter's done, let's move on to heaven. But there's going to be Gentiles that get saved for a thousand years. Do you see what I'm saying? So there's a first resurrection. There's, There's a number of Gentiles that are going to say, yes, God knows what that number is, to the first resurrection. It's very small. Few find it. The road is narrow. Few find it. There's also a number of Jewish people that are saying yes in that narrow road that is narrow and few find And then there's still going to be Jewish people and Gentile people that are getting saved and discipled and being used by God to disciple the nations for a thousand years. So the fullness of the Gentiles that take part in the first resurrection is different than all the Gentiles who are going to be saved throughout history. Do you catch the difference? Okay. Joel 2, 32. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So all the things I just told you, it's actually not complicated The redemptive process is this. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. But what does that mean? What does that mean? That means to call on him for leadership and not just a one-time, hey, if you're the son of God, save me and save you. That's saying, I deserve the circumstances I'm in of trouble. I want you to be my leader. I want you to get your kingdom. I just want to be your subject. How much of this can I give you, not how much of you can I take and save myself with? Do you see what I'm saying? That's different. So when you hear everyone who calls the name of the Lord, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about the Spirit's going to get poured out. This is Joel 2, right? After the Joel 2 prayer meeting, God's going to pour out His Spirit in all flesh. Your sons are going to prophesy. Your old men are going to dream dreams, even on your maid servants. And then it says, everyone who calls the name of the Lord in that witness shall be saved. Everyone who sees that is like, I want that same leadership will be saved, okay? For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, so when you read Joel 2, it's actually talking about the salvation of the remnant in Israel, right? So let's think about that for a second. Where in the New Testament do you hear Joel 2 quoted? Acts 2. Acts 2, right? In Acts 2, Peter, after the pouring out of the Spirit, he stands up and he says, Gentlemen, they're not drunk as you suppose. This is what the prophet Joel said. And after this, I'll pour out my Spirit and all flesh. How many people got saved at that meeting? 3,000. Wh- what were they? Jewish people. Where were they from? Several nations. They spoke 17 different languages. They were all in Jerusalem for a feast. They were there for a party. And they heard these guys, and they're like, they're drunk. And Peter's like, no, they're not drunk. I'm filled with the Spirit, and I'm preaching as a witness. You're literally hearing Yeshua right now. And people responded, Jewish people responded and got saved in mass in that moment, right? This is what this is talking about, okay? So as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. It was a Jewish remnant. So if you're like, I don't, what is the Jewish remnant? This is what it's talking about. There's people that he's saving in faith. Not their faith, his faith. He's keeping them for the moment that they're going to hear the witness of Yeshua, and he knows they're going to say yes when they hear it. They, they have a zeal for God, is the way Paul said it, but they don't have a zeal according to knowledge. They were trying to work out their own plan of salvation, but they have a zeal for the Lord, and God's like, I will not waste that. So if you have a zeal for the Lord, but you have not a lot of knowledge, and you're like, I'm so fleshy, I'm trying to do my own righteousness, and I can't stop doing it, take heart. You're like Israel, and he hasn't given up on Israel, and he's not going to give up on you either. It's just, do you want to deal with all that now with the help of the Holy Spirit, or do you want to learn righteousness and the discipling of the nations with all the other nations for a 1,000 years? That's the first resurrection or the second death, and the second death won't kill everybody. In fact, in the book of Revelation, Revelation 2 and 3, when Jesus is listing the seven churches, he says, if you'll repent and overcome, the second death won't hurt you, right? So we have to understand God is much more patient than our putting all this stuff in boxes, being like, okay, everybody's got to get saved before Jesus comes back, because the door's going to close and nothing's going to happen after that. That's a complete lie from the devil. God's going to do it the same way he did the first time Jesus came, which is he took the people that were willing with him, but he didn't give up on the people that weren't. And we even see a sect of the Pharisees in in the book of Acts that were part of crucifying Jesus that then became followers of Jesus. And so this is good news. What I'm telling you is the world is not about to end. If you're like looking at Israel and you're hearing all the people saying this is the end times and Jesus is about to come, I want to tell you, there is still so much time left left but you're running out of time to take part of the first resurrection. You don't want to waste these moments. You don't want to waste these moments to give your heart to God, to give your mind to God, to give your emotions to God, because if you do, not only will you take part in the first resurrection, you'll be a witness to people God loves called Israel who have a zeal for God, but they haven't seen the Messiah yet, and they, he wants them to see him in you. Okay. Let's go to page two. Oh, my word, page two. I'm terrified of this now. We've got 20 minutes left, and we're on page two. Don't worry. Okay, who is the remnant of Israel? And I've just talked about that a ton. The remnant are not genetically Jewish people that have no interest in obeying God. That's not the remnant. And there's a ton of genetically Jewish people that have no interest in God at all. And they're, they're not. And I'm going to show you these passages. Don't worry. The remnant are not genetically Jewish people that have already said yes to the leadership of Yeshua and are in Christ. And we just read that passage. God's desire is that ultimately there will be no distinction between Jew and Gentile. When a Gentile or Jewish follower becomes one with Yeshua, that's what they are. They are Yeshua. They are part of his body, just like you. Saved means only one thing, fully in Christ, no longer our own. The old is past, and the new has come, right? If the news come for you and the news come for your Jewish brother, who also knows the same Yeshua you do, has the same spirit you do, hears the same prophetic promises, makes the same faith choices to agree with his own sanctification, your own sanctification, you are both one in Christ, right? There's no distinction according to these passages. And I'm going I'm I'm to read the passages to you. Don't worry. Save means just that. So Romans 10, 9 to 13. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So it's not enough to just believe it. There's a lot of Jewish people that believe Yeshua is the Messiah, but they're terrified to say it. And He says, if you won't stand stand for me before men, I won't stand for you before the Father. You have to say it. You have to be a witness of what's true. That's what I'm actually doing today with you. I'm saying something that you're probably not hearing everywhere, and there's tons of people that don't like what I'm saying. But it is true, and I'm willing to be a witness because I love Yeshua. You have to do the same. You have to actually find out what God's telling you to say and say that true thing first to yourself and then to the people that he calls you to say it to. This is what this is talking about. With your mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich, to all who call upon him, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, that's in Romans 10, 9 to 13. But this is consistent in the Bible that when you become one in Christ, there's no longer this distinction anymore. Now, that doesn't mean, remember, we have to be patient about this. Are you fully in Christ right now? Probably not. Nobody's shining with the brightness of the spirit like Adam and Eve that didn't have any clothes on or Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. This light shone right through his clothes. I don't see it yet. Okay, so we're in this process that requires patience. Until that process is done and the purchased possession is redeemed, there is a distinction between Jew and Gentile, and we're supposed to honor that distinction. We're actually supposed to say, if it wasn't for Jewish people, it wasn't for great-great-great-great-great-grandpa Abraham all the way back saying yes to God in all of the pain... The Holocaust and Egypt and the Spanish Inquisition and all the attempts to wipe out the Jews, the Hamas attack, if it wasn't for that, I would have no chance at knowing the Jewish Messiah. So I honor that distinction until God deals with this. Now the same is true for women preaching. Have you ever heard me talk about women preaching? God has a vision for there to be no distinction between men and women. There's coming a time, it says that you're, this Gentiles, or this uh, Galatians passage is going to say it. But you have to be patient about that. You have to actually be humble and honor the way the Spirit does the process. Otherwise, you become impatient and lawless, and you're like, I can say whatever I want whenever I want, and no person under the Holy Spirit can say whatever they want whenever they want. He tells everybody to be quiet, not just women, okay? So, for you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. you are all one in Christ Jesus and if you are Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise if you're in Christ you're in Abraham you're in this you're in this you're in this and you're in this if you're in Christ do you see what I'm saying the remnant is not in Christ yet but they still are God's people that have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge okay Those in Christ are not the remnant of Israel. They are in Yeshua. This road is narrow, and few find it, both Jew and Gentile. The remnant are those, item C, genetically Jewish that God is preserving for salvation that have not walked away from him in idolatry. The remnant has zeal for God but unbelief. That means they lack a witness of Yeshua. This is all the things that we've kind of already talked about. Uh, that they would hear the Spirit and turn to the Lord. Romans 9, 30 to 33. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Uh, why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. Now, when you hear this, you'd be like, all of Israel hasn't attained it by faith. Is that true? No. Hebrews 11 tells us a ton of Israel has attained it by faith. Right? So when, when you hear all of Israel will be saved, you have to read the full counsel of Scripture. You have to say, wait a second. All doesn't just mean all. All means whatever God says all means. And I want to ask God what he means. Not hear the preacher that says it with a lot of confidence is like, everybody's going to get the Spirit when he poured out the Spirit on all flesh. Well, when he poured out the Spirit on all flesh in Acts 2, the people in the upper room, the 120, got the Spirit. Not all got the Spirit. And when you hear all of Israel is going to be saved, you have to say, okay, well, what is God calling all of Israel when Paul says that? And this is the, the reason that we're doing this message tonight, because it's really specific, actually, what Paul's talking about. Okay. Hmm. Okay. So the remnant are those genetically Jewish. Oh, we already read that. So, okay, so what shall we say to them? The Gentiles did not pursue righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, according to you know, verse 32. And then verse 33, as it is written, behold, I lay in Zion. Actually, I got to go back to verse 32. Why? Why did Israel not attain to the law of righteousness? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. What's the stumbling stone? Jesus. And faith right? Faith as well. Faith is what pleases God. So it's faith in Christ, right, that makes you one with Christ. But there were many people who stumbled at faith before Christ, and there's many people who stumble at faith right now. So you can, in your mind, make this whole formula that God's not making about what this means. It doesn't just mean Christ, though it ultimately means Christ. God's looking for faith from you. Do you fully know Jesus right now? You know what you know, and he's got a faith choice in front of you that you could stumble at right now. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, I'm actually quoting you something from Romans 10, which says, Don't be haughty when you think about Israel, because if God remove those branches, he'll remove you too. Right? If you stumble in faith. You'd be like, well, I believe in Jesus. Well, that means a lot. Do you believe in the faith choice Jesus has put in front of you today? Do you believe that he's faithful to keep you in the thing he's asking of you right now? This, that's what this is talking about. So there are people in Israel that he's sifting in the lines of faith that haven't heard of Yeshua yet. And he's looking for a remnant. He's actually looking for people to mark their foreheads with a seal that will keep them through the trouble that's coming. And that's in Ezekiel 9. People who moan and sigh over the abominations in the city of Jerusalem, they're, they're in faith saying, no, this isn't about us beating this enemy or these people coming and helping us. This is our own unrighteousness. God is judging us. He calls that faith. And they moan and sigh. And he's like, I'm going to show my son to you. He would say the same to you. He would say the same to you. If you look at your circumstance, you're like, I'm a victim of all these circumstances. God, you got to do something about that. God, you've got to do something about that. And you don't say, God, I deserve all of this. Do something about this then you're not in faith and what john the baptist said to people of israel priests even he said don't say your sons of abraham do fruits worthy of righteousness right he's like you got to have the faith to say this isn't working right we don't know god like we need to he says you got two tunics give up one right the soldier asked you to do this do even more They said, what do we do? What do we do to to agree with you, John the Baptist, so we can see Yeshua, so we can see the Messiah? And he said, you got to get into faith. He called them into faith before they ever saw Jesus. Do you get what I'm saying? Raise your hand if you're with me. Great. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So ultimately, that is Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Like, is Jesus just a one-dimensional paper character that you're like, yeah, I believe in him? Or is he God? Is he God the Spirit? Is he God who leads you when you can't see him? Is he God that you don't fully know because he's infinite? There's more to him is what I'm saying. So when we look at Israel, we're like, they got to accept Jesus. <laughs> that means a lot. So do you. So do you. There are two qualifiers for who God says Israel is. We cannot have any other definition of Israel than God does. Biblical Israel is all those of the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So there's a genetic component. That, say yes to Jehovah's leadership and faith. That is biblical Israel. That's how Abraham started. Everybody in that great cloud of witnesses, that's what they are. They are genetic, and they said yes to Jehovah in faith. If you're grafted in... Same thing is required of you. You're an in-law, but you're still supposed to say yes to Jehovah in faith. Okay, Romans nine six. But is not that the word of God has? Ta- it, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel, who are of Israel, nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is, those who are children of the flesh, these are not children of God. The same is true of you. If you're a child of the flesh, you're not a child of God. And you have to decide, I don't want my flesh's leadership. I don't want my emotions telling me what to do. I don't want my wisdom and my logic telling me what to do. I want God to tell me what to do. That's what Satan did to try and sift Jesus out of the role of Messiah. He wanted Jesus to take his power into his own hands and turn the stones into bread. He didn't want him to live by the Spirit. He wanted him to live by his flesh. Remember, he had been fasting for 40 days. He was really hungry. So Satan's trying to sift you in the same way, and Satan's trying to sift the remnant of Israel in the same way. He's trying to sift everybody, and he's asked for permission to sift you, and God has said, yes. Why? Because he loves you, and he wants you to live in faith with him forever. So if you're just like, get rid of all these bad circumstances, my life's not going to be good until I can see it's going to be good. You're like, you're not in faith. Now, that's okay, because look it. There's a whole lot of people that have still felt that way throughout history, and he hasn't given up. He still has a plan to bring them to faith if they're willing You just want to be willing to say, God, I'm sorry. I repent. I want your leadership, right? This is the simple gospel. This is actually really simple. But when we start to think about the remnant in Israel and Israel being shaken among the nations and the church and the bride in the last days, it just becomes this muddled confusion. And you actually have to kind of unstring it a little bit to see, oh, it's actually really, really simple what God's looking for and who he's talking about, right? It's really simple. Luke 3, 8 to 9. This is John the Baptist. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. God can change the genetics. What he refuses to change is the love. He refuses to change the faith, right? And he says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The remnant are those God keeps for salvation, Romans eleven five. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Are they the remnant because they've read the, the Tanakh, they've read the Talmud, they go to synagogue every week? Are they the remnant because of that? They're the remnant because God picked them. So are you. <laughs> Many are called, few are chosen. God, you're here because God called you. It is nothing you did. It was nothing by your unrighteousness that put you in the position with God that you're in right now. There's a remnant that he's keeping in Israel. Who are they? Who are the wheat and who are the tares? I don't know. Should we pull up the tares, get rid of all the bad guys that really don't trust God? No, because you might pull up some of the wheat, right? That's true for the church. That's true for Israel as well. We don't know. We don't know who the remnant is. God knows who the remnant is. We're a witness if we're a witness. We're part of the bride if we're part of the bride. And we're supposed to see it's more than just us avoiding trouble or getting some reward. There's a whole family that God wants a witness of his son shown to. It's about Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about us avoiding trouble. It's not about us getting saved. It's not about the end times going good for us or going bad for us. It's about Jesus being glorified and being seen by those he loves. That he's calling, that he's keeping. He's keeping them even right now. Are we keeping them? Are we praying in agreement with him about the remnant? Are we studying it? Are we getting into it? Like, okay, what does this mean? Or are we just kind of softballing prayers out there, not knowing what any of this stuff means, or just hoping he comes back? That's about us. It's about him if we're like, I got to know. I got to know how to speak, Lord. I got to know how to move. I got to I want, when I move, when I make a decision, when I forgive somebody, when I give my money away, I want, I want Israel to see you, Jesus. And you don't know where Israel's at. You don't know who he's keeping, right? And it's not just Israel. There's many will get saved with them, okay? So the remnant of those that God keeps for salvation Even so then, at this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace, Isaiah 10, 20 to 22. In that day, the remnant left in Israel, the survivors in the house of Jacob, will no longer depend on allies who seek to destroy them. Everybody say allies. Then say seek to destroy them. I just told you at the beginning of this meeting, almost every Western nation has a ship on the coast of the Mediterranean. Allies. Did they seek to destroy them? Yes. It's very confusing what's happening. God is gathering all the nations to make war against Jesus. That's what's happening right now. Clearly, Israel's being shaken among the nations. God is gathering well-intentioned, fleshy, antichrist nations that want to be God, don't want to submit to God, want to be God to Israel, to make war against his son right now. Right now. This is huge. You're seeing something all of creation has longed to see. You've got to understand what it means you got to understand what it's about and who it's about because it's really about Yeshua getting something right now. It really is. Now, in this room, there's a camera in the back. Probably there's a camera in your pocket. You have access to so much of the world. Are you a witness? If you're a witness in this hour, you will be persecuted. Are you afraid of that? Are you afraid of what people think about you? Are you willing to ask God, how can I shine your leadership to the world? Are you willing? Or are you just hoping this storm passes over you and you don't have to deal with it? If you are, then you're like people in this time and people in this time and people in this time that never left these places. But God hasn't given up on them. But he will increase the pressure to give them the best chance that they could possibly have to shine as witnesses for him and live with him forever. You want the first resurrection. You don't want 1,000 more years of this. You don't want 200 more years of this. You've only lived probably 30 to 60 years of it, maybe even 15 years of it so far. You don't want another couple hundred years of this, right? And he doesn't want that either. He doesn't want that either. In that day, the remnant of Israel left in Israel, or the remnant left in Israel, the survivors in the house of Jacob will no longer depend on allies who seek to destroy them, but they will faithfully trust the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. A remnant will return. Yes, the remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God, but though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sand of the seashore, only a remnant of them will return. The Lord has rightly decided to destroy his people. This is a prophetic end-time promise that has not been fully fulfilled yet. There's a remnant. It's not... Everybody that you would think of as Israel. But it's not, not everybody that you would think of. You just can't think of it. You, you don't know the remnant. God knows the remnant, okay? God has always kept a remnant of Israel. Jacob's descendants who have faith in Jehovah from those who are of Israel, descendants of the man Jacob. This has always been true, literally always. The remnant moan and sigh over the abominations in Jerusalem. That's Ezekiel 9. They are the ones who God marks and preserves along with the servants of God, Both at the same time. So in the Bible, it says Satan, he sends out a flood after the woman. This is in Revelation 12, speaking of Israel. And it says the earth swallows up the flood. Allies. I think allies actually swallow up the flood. And then it says Satan gets angry, and he goes off to make war against the offspring of Israel who keep the commandments of Jesus. That's Revelation 12. I think you're seeing that right now. The flood from Hamas is called Al-Aqsa Flood. They literally named it that about the Temple Mount. Now, when they did that, all of the Arab nations around them started to funnel money. I read an article this morning that said Hamas actually got billions for doing this. There's a whole bunch of people that want the Temple Mount, a whole bunch. And the earth is swallowing up this flood, and they're getting very frustrated. But if you look, Satan is striking the prayer movement for Israel right now. IHOP is home base for the prayer moment for Israel. I mean, she literally just organized 100 million intercessors for the month of May. And now is being decimated by accusation and pain and conflict and division and selfishness and self-promotion and people trying to take power. FIA, literally today, just fell. FIA is another huge place praying for Israel. Satan is lashing out. You're literally seeing the things happen in front of your eyes, and there's a remnant in God's eye. There's a remnant that he wants to see a witness of his son. So those prayer movements, praying for Israel, they're supposed to be prayer movements of us sanctifying and becoming shining lights, pure and spotless lights that Israel would see. God is maturing the prayer movement right now. He's taking it from self-centered, man-focused, God, let's go get the world, and he's changing it to a few, very few will find it, small in number, group of people who are like, God, change me. Change me that Israel will see a witness of what it looks like to be led by God. Right now, this is great news. What I'm telling you is great news. This puts everything in the right context, the right frame. It puts things into the right focus. God's not losing God's winning if you see it right. If you can see the remnant in Israel right now, he is adjusting the prayer movement that Israel will see something, not just hear a bunch of hypocritical people telling her what she should do, right? He's adjusting it so she'll see people saying, this is what he's doing in me. This is what he's doing in me. Ezekiel 9, 4, and the Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city. Now, this is speaking about the city of Jerusalem. Through the midst of Jerusalem, put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. To the others, he said in my hearing, go after him through the city and kill. Do not let your eyes spare. This is talking about Jewish people, okay? Nor have any pity. Utterly slay old and young men, maidens and little children, women, but do not come near anyone on whom is the mark. Do you think God wants everybody to have that mark on them? Do you think if you're indifferent, you're like, "I hope that doesn't happen to them, but I don't. I just I want to make it through these end times. I just hope I don't lose my house, or you know, don't take that mark of the beast." And man, better put some food in the basement. Is that the witness that will keep people from being slain in Israel? No. What's the witness? I give it all for him. He takes care of me. If I seek first the kingdom, the rest is added. I don't have to save my own life. He's saving my life. I can witness him and without fear i don't have to be afraid of men i don't have to be afraid of circumstances and if israel sees that she'll get marked and she'll avoid this slaying do you see that but how will they do that if they don't hear it how will they hear it if it's not preached how beautiful are the feet that preach good news who say to israel your god reigns that's what this is talking about it's talking about sealing a remnant in israel okay and God does that. They don't do that. God does that. He sees the decisions in their heart, and he's like, I see a heart when it sees the witness. Now, you might be like, it's, I just planted a seed. I didn't even witness that much. You know, somebody caught a glimpse of me doing a set just, like, spending my Saturday morning or my Friday afternoon singing to Jesus. But you don't know the faith decision that's made when somebody sees that, and they're like, I want to know that God. It's just something that small that he— They're moaning and sighing they don't know him. Do you see what I'm saying? Like we try to do all the math and be like, well, you know, I didn't, I never got the plane ticket and went to Israel and told Jewish people about Jesus. I had people ask me that. How many people have you preached Jesus to? None. But everybody I meet, they're like, why are you here? I'm like, because I love you because Jehovah loves you. So I put my career on hold, I put my family on hold, and I'm here in a war because Jehovah loves you. Right? And they can see that on the stream. They can see that in the choices you make with what you post on Facebook, what you care about and what you don't care about. They can see that what you're frustrated about what you're not frustrated about. And when people attack you, like people all over the world can see that. I got attacked on Facebook three days ago. Somebody told me that, or somebody told a bunch of people, don't listen to him. He's lied about me all over Facebook for a year. I'm like, that is the exact opposite of what happened. But people know that, and they can see, they can make a faith choice. Some people in Israel will know that. Like I have friends in Israel now right? So we can't do the math on how all this works. We don't know. We don't know where the remnant is. We don't know what the seed is planted, who's watering it. God's making it grow. But can we get a vision for what God's doing right now and say, yes, I want to give more of myself to him for his glory, for his people, for his witness in the earth right now. And if we'll see the remnant, we will do it because I'm telling you, he's orchestrating everything to save all of Israel right now. He really is. He really is. And if you don't see it, right, if you're like, all these things have to happen, and I understand according to my flesh, and I I don't think we're even close to all of Israel, like, inviting Jesus to come back. That's not what it means. That's not what it means. It means something different. We don't know. We don't know. What what was that moment that God saw before you did when you were going to accept Jesus? What was that thing that you didn't ever saw, but God saw it? Right? There was something. I guarantee it after him through the city. Do not let your eyes spare, nor have any pity. Utterly slay old and young men, maidens and little children and women. But do not come on near anyone on whom is the mark. And begin at my sanctuary. Begin with the people who claim to know me. So they began with the elders who were before the temple. Then he said to them, Defile the temple and fill the courts with the slain. Go out. And they went out in the city and killed. So it was, while they were killing them, I was left alone. I fell on my face and cried out and said, Ah, Lord God, will you destroy all the remnant of Israel in pouring out your fury on Jerusalem? Then he said to me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great, and the land is full of bloodshed, and the city full of perversity. For they say the Lord has forsaken the land, and the Lord does not see. And as for me also, my eye will neither spare, nor will I have pity, but I will recompense their deeds on their own head. Revelation 7-2, then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth and the sea or the trees till... We've sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Do you know this is where we're at right now? Do you see the judgments? Do you see the trumpets and the seals? Do you know he wants them sealed? (laughs) He's saying, don't do any more until they're sealed. Where are we at? I don't know, but I don't want to waste anything right now. I don't want to waste anything. Abigail, you want to come back up? Page four of the notes. Lack of faith has resulted in the removal of much of Israel who are descendants of Jacob, but biblically they are no longer Israel. God's trying to provoke these to jealousy by Gentile believers being grafted into their destiny, which we'll cover soon. To be saved is to become part of Jesus' body. Jesus is a Jewish man. He's an Israelite. To be saved is to become part of a Jewish man's body. You become an Israel in law. This should produce great humility in us. This is the last thing I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read. If some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you don't support the root, but the root supports you. You'll say "Then branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. That is how God works. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Don't be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Now, this is a New Testament passage. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell, severity, but towards you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Stand with me if you will. I feel like what God wants to release is a grace to see Israel the way that he sees them, eyes to see. If you see it, you have to see yourself in it too Because you're grafted in. If you want that, I just want to pray for you. Let's just raise our hands before the Lord if you want that. I'm not looking. God's looking. He knows what you want and what you don't. Holy Spirit, I'm asking in this room, would you give us eyes like fire, eyes like Yeshua? Lord, that would burn with desire for the things that he desires. Lord, that we would be a people that give the money box to Judah. That let people that don't know anything about God tell us and we don't fight with them because we have our eyes fixed on what the Father wants. God, would you make us a people pure in our hearts, the way that we deal with enemies, the way we deal with friends, the way we deal with opportunity, the way we deal with resources. You just fix our eyes on one thing, God, that Yeshua would receive the reward of his suffering. God, fill this room with fire. Let us not miss this once-in-creation opportunity, God. Let us not miss it. Give us grace to say yes to the next thing, whatever that next thing is. Let us not make it bigger, smaller, more complicated, or more simple than it really is. Let us just say yes to the next faith thing so that we could say yes to Yeshua fully. In Jesus' name, amen.